Christian friends, the ones who had the wisdom to know what to say, said, you don't see him, you don't hear him, and you don't feel him right now, but he's there. Mm -hmm. Just trust that he's there. Mm -hmm. And I got to a point where I had to deal with God the way he is rather than the way I'd like him to be. And that's harsh. That's a hard place to go. That is the voice of Barbara Vernis sharing about the darkest time in her life, experiencing the loss of her son, Adam, just two years ago. Growing up as the daughter of a pastor, Barbara knew all of the Bible verses, but now there were more questions than answers. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. The purpose of Life Support is to help others know how to come alongside those who are hurting and suffering and hosted by Paul Johnson, lead pastor of Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. In this series, Pastor Paul will be having conversations with trauma survivors. Pastor Paul is no stranger to personal tragedy himself, losing his first wife to cancer and then suffering through the homicide of his 21-year-old son, giving him a unique perspective and empathy as he conducts these conversations. Here is Pastor Paul Johnson. On Life Support, we love to tell stories, but they're hard stories, many times stories of suffering and trauma. But in the midst of that, Jesus emerges, and there's incredible hope in these stories. And today we're talking with Barbara Vernis, who has related a very difficult story uh, regarding her son, Adam. And we know that Adam... Um, had a, a, a normal childhood, had some childhood trauma with uh, a physical injury and grew up in uh, in Minnetonka, Minnesota, and, and then began to struggle with alcohol and uh, with uh, drugs. And you moved and then came back. And, and tell us about, I know this is still really fresh for you. Uh, you're not talking from decades and decades of distance here, but the best you can Describe what happened at the end. What what was it like when you found out that that Adam had passed away? And kind of walk us through the sequence of those events, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, the ugly part. Um, well, I had been in North Carolina in December, and I drove away about the 14th to come back to Minnesota. Adam was in North Carolina living with his dad still. Um, and I remember thinking, uh, he was in so much pain. Uh, he was having trouble with his hand because of the nerve damage to his neck and he was dropping things. Um, I was thinking by the time he's 40, he's gonna be completely disabled. What kind of life is this? He had never married, he wanted to. Uh, he just felt like he had let everybody down. Mm -hmm. um, and I kept, we kept rebuilding him and saying, but Adam, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you've done. We love you, and we we want you here, and we want you well. Um, so he knew we loved him dearly, and we knew he loved us. He just felt awful about what he's put us through. Adam hated to see me cry. Um, so I, I came back to Minnesota, and I was planning to go back as soon as the Super Bowl was over, which was supposed to be in Minneapolis with the Vikings, but 
um, and Adam, you know, Viking season. He was goal Vikings, and I'd go mm-hmm. on Facebook, and he was so excited. The time to be disappointed once again for Minnesota <laughs> sports fans, right? Yes. Um, but all through the month of January, his birthday's in January. It was just last week on the 16th. Uh, he was writing about the supermoon. He was so excited. The big supermoon was coming on the 31st. Well, that's the day he died. Hmm. That's the night he died. I'm thinking he saw it in a way none of us did. Mm-hmm. And what happened? Um, we're not sure. But I know from uh, text messages his friend sent me that he was trying to get well. He was asking questions about what do I need to do, who do I need to see, what medications helped you get off stuff. Um, and I was supposed to be back in a week after the fourth the Super Bowl. I was leaving the next day to drive back. Um, I'd like to believe that he would have told me how much trouble he was in and asked for help. Uh, we didn't get that chance. Um, the afternoon after he died, I was in my house in Mound, and his dad called, and his dad does call me during the day. He said, are you driving? And I said, no, why? And he said, Adam died. The sound of those words in my Mm -hmm. head will never go away. Mm -hmm. And I screamed for seven minutes, at least. I threw myself on the floor of that room and just screamed. Mm -hmm. And then my logical brain comes back and goes, okay, who do I need to call? What do I need to do? And then I start screaming again. I mean, it's like your brain is shifting back and forth between no and yes, what do I do? No. Uh, it, it's it's like losing your mind completely. Mm-hmm. Um, we were on the phone for a little bit. Adam was still at the house. Rich had found him. And uh, he said, last night when I went to bed, I heard Adam snoring. Adam doesn't snore. We know now that was probably because he was in a respiratory arrest. Uh, they found him. His dad found him the next afternoon. So he'd been gone for a long time. Uh, and I will never ask him what that looked like. Um, no dad needs that picture in his mind. Uh, the police, A police officer who lived in our neighborhood that we knew had heard it on the radio and came right to the house sat with Rich for the three hours it took for them to go through the room, and Adam was right there. Mm-hmm. And uh, his uh, the police officer took Rich to another room, and they waited for the coroner, and it was awful, mm-hmm. just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, had I been there, I probably would still be in a hospital. I don't think, I don't think, God God knew I wasn't going to survive that. But. Yeah, it's, it's kind of that call that every parent <sighs> dreads, well, and... You know, and it it puts you in a club you don't want to be in. And yeah. you, it, I don't think at that point when that call comes that you really understand how much it's changed your life. I mean, I think you intuitively know it, th- things will never be the same. But the ripple effects, yeah. you don't really have any idea at that point. The funny thing is that for at least 20 years, I'd known I was going to lose Adam. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I knew. I just didn't know when. And now we were at the when. Mm-hmm. Um, that was shocking. I th- had thought through that moment for years. I turned my phone off at night for the first time in 20-some years mm-hmm. that night because mm-hmm. I didn't need it on. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I knew we would lose him. I just didn't know how or when. Right. And I've thought through other options that could have happened, and they would have been worse. As bad as this is, um, the odd thing was there was a relief to it that was hard to explain because of the addiction and the worry. and the. I mean, Adam was the center of our family. Uh, like it or not, he was the center. He still is. Uh, his brother and sister were raised with an addict. They didn't ask for that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think about them a lot and and how Adam was the catalyst for who we are. Yeah. He still is. And then you had to go through the week of uh, preparing and trying to figure out how you're going to get through the the um, well, memorial first, services and all those kind of things. First that I had just... to go tell his sister. Mm-hmm. Um, I called her husband and I said, Adam is gone. Would you please go home and be with Ashley. I'm headed there now. And I got in the car. I probably should have been driving. Uh, I called a relative in California um, and talked to her first, and she screamed with me for a while. And I got in the car, and I drove to Hopkins, which was 25 minutes away. And all the way down County Road 44 from Mound to Highway 7, every tree trunk, every power pole said, crash here. You can go to where he is. You can catch up. You don't have to be separated. You can, you can die too. Mm-hmm. And the struggle to keep my car on the road. Mm-hmm. No, people need me. I can't. Mm-hmm. I used to hold my breath sometimes right after he died and until my brain was screaming. And I would inhale and it would feel like I was choosing to live rather than go where he is. And it, it's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. I knew my my family needed me. They couldn't they couldn't bear more. You made the right choice. They do need you. And you made a mention in an interview that I saw about the the last time you saw him and how surreal it was uh, to see him. Um, uh, you, you said I thought he was going to wake up, and I could really oh. relate to that because I remember uh, my son Taylor, who um, was buried maybe mile from where I lived and I'd lay in bed at night and it's totally illogical of course which doesn't matter and I thought he's so close but yet he's so far away you know and it was just a a weird experience yeah I went to uh, his sister and I and our granddaughter went to uh, North Carolina two days after Adam died and um, that following Monday we went down to the, um, I don't know what it's called, before he was cremated and to see him. And we went in, and he looked like he was sleeping. He mm-hmm. didn't look like he could possibly be gone. Um, they had done an autopsy. Um, they'd done all the testing. And I... Um, I after a few minutes, I told Rich and Ashley and his brother Ben, um, I need to say goodbye to Adam alone because I brought him into the world. I have to let him go. And I was in there for about probably 20 minutes by myself. And I begged him. I said, Adam, wake up. Adam, wake up. And I memorized every eyelash, every freckle on his face, his hair looked right, everything about him pretty much looked right, 
except the ink on his fingers from being fingerprinted and um, it was it was probably the hardest thing I ever saw. Mm-hmm. My son in a cardboard box dressed in plastic and I knew it was the last time I'd see him. Mm-hmm. We'll return to this conversation in just a moment, but we want to remind you that you are listening to Life Support, a co-production of Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota and Five Stone Media. Here is Five Stone Media Executive Director and Co-Founder Steve Johnson. Five Stone Media is an organization that uses story to bring hope and healing for those in need of change. We're videotaping these programs, and the video version of Life Support can be found on the Facebook page of Five Stone Media and also our website at fivestonemedia.com. And now let's return to the conversation of hope with Pastor Paul Johnson. I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. and. You are a person who's familiar with the church. You had mentioned last time we were together that your dad was a pastor, and so you've had to navigate through the church world. What was the church world like for you after this happened? Was it, I mean, my wife has a uh, a little notebook that she called the Stupid Things People Say book. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Did you experience some of that as well? Oh, my favorite uh, I don't even have to write it down. My favorite one was, oh, I know what loss feels like. It's awful. I lost my dog last summer. Oh, gracious. Um, what do you even say to that? It's, you try <laughs> to just nod and move say. on. <laughs> the, the odd thing is you, you get more gracious and less tolerant at the same time. I have no tolerance for small talk anymore, uh, for Hollywood uh a lot of what's going on in politics, I just don't care. Life has boiled down to the very important, simple uh, investment in people. Uh, there are people who walked into my life that I didn't expect would walk in, and there's people who walked away that I didn't expect would walk mm-hmm. away. They just couldn't handle the new me. I am different. I cannot be who I was before. That is so important to land on because there is this constant pressure Mm-hmm. People want to put you back. And they want you back. They yes. want you back. And you, you you know that you'll never be the same. And the truth is, God doesn't want you to go back to the way you were because all of this is for a purpose. Yeah. And that change in you is part of his purpose for you. So not only can't you go back, you, you, you mm-hmm. don't want to go back. And so people that walk away from you are sometimes shocking. Mm -hmm. People you never dreamed would walk away from you. And then the people that hang around are people where you go, wow, I never saw that kind of character. I I took to writing on Facebook. I I don't write about my personal life, but gosh, here I was writing about this. And people constantly tell me, I just had a, a friend, I've never met her. She's a friend on Facebook. She lost her brother to an overdose last Friday. She wrote me a private message, and she said, if I hadn't been reading what you've written in the last two years, I don't know where I'd be. This, what you said explains where I am and what I see happening to my family, and thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And um, I was reading about the five stages of grief this morning, kind of refresh my memory what they are. And, yeah. Um, the writer said there's actually a sixth step, and that's where I'm at. 
It's called meaning. What do I do with this new reality? And to be here, to write, uh, people say, oh, write a book. Well, I don't know about that, but what I've tried to do since then is to find meaning to this. Um, that brings me to uh, what I wrote at day 35, where was God? Did I pray for my son? Absolutely. Was my son a Christian? Absolutely. Where was God the night he died? And I pictured, I read Job that spring, and I pictured Satan going to God and saying, you know what, I'm going to take Adam's life. And God said, I'm going to allow that. Because that's the reality of who God has control over that. This did not surprise God. I, I agree. This 100%. But you know there are people that wouldn't agree with what we're saying oh, right I now. I know. But they've never had to deal with God this way. Mm -hmm. I did. Mm -hmm. How do I pray to the God who allowed my child to die? How do I talk to him? Mm -hmm. I love him. I trust him. But how much do I trust him? I, I've told people, it's like um, God leads you to, the, to a cliff. And, he's, and you're looking over the cliff going, oh, my gosh, that's like three miles down. He says, yeah. Uh, and he says, walk up to the edge. And it's like, uh, no, I don't want to go there. And he says, now turn around and fall. Mm -hmm. Once you've done that, you feel kind of bulletproof. Mm -hmm. God has taken you to the cliff, and you've had to fall and be caught. The point is you get caught. God does catch you. You don't see it at the time. Everything looks pretty black. That room you're in is pretty ugly. Yeah. And I honestly, I didn't see God right away. I couldn't. I looked for him, and I said, I don't feel like you're here. And people would say, you've asked me, what, what does the church do? And I wasn't deeply involved in one church or another at the time. But my Christian friends, the ones who had the wisdom to know what to say, said, you don't see him, you don't hear him, and you don't feel him right now, but he's there. Mm -hmm. Just trust that he's there. Mm -hmm. And I got to a point where I had to deal with God the way he is rather than the way I'd like him to be. And that's harsh. That's a hard place to go. But it came out the other side with, I don't know your reasons. Uh, I don't understand it. I didn't agree to it. I didn't consent to this. You didn't ask me, but I trust you. And what is faith but that? And then you have a brand new power in your life. You're, I, I kind of picture it in my own life as roots that go so deep that yes. it would be really hard to shake me out yeah. of that yeah. because I've, I've gone through these things with God. And I, I tell people, Barbara, maybe you can relate to this too, that you know, I wouldn't want anyone else to go through this no. ever. I don't want to ever go through this again. But at the same time, strangely, I wouldn't trade mm -hmm. what has happened to Isn't me because of it. People mm -hmm. have asked me, if you could go back two years, would you prevent this? Um, or would you, would I prevent it? Sure, I probably yeah, would. Sure. But would you want Adam back if you could wave a magic wand and bring him back? And I said, oh, gosh, no. To what he was dealing with? Of course not. Um, the relief for him and for us was kind of an unexpected, kind of weird little thing. And I would have to, that would negate everything that I've learned in two years. I started therapy 
thinking, oh, well, I'll go see this therapist and check in and make sure I'm grieving appropriately. Right, yeah, right. And it right. quickly became about a lot of things other than God and, and Adam. Mm-hmm. Um, it opened up all the doors to all the dark little places that I just tucked things away that I just didn't deal with. I would be giving up all that process and all that growth. I can't say I would do that. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of wisdom that you've gained on your part. You, We all sit with people on Sunday that we don't know what they're going through. We probably wrongly assume that they're all have great lives and there's nothing going on underneath that, especially out here in this kind of wealthy Western metro that we live in, in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people in church about how to watch for people that might be struggling, how to receive them, what to say to someone that you know, or what not to say to someone that you know may be struggling? Um, for the most part, I can't really, I can't really say that there's much they can say. It's more a coming alongside. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to notice uh, it wasn't the words people use so much. And like I said, you get more gracious. You kind of, people are trying. Yeah, they, they are trying. Say, they don't say the right things, but they're trying. They're trying. So you cut them some grace. Yep. Um, sometimes it was that people, I watched this process of people would kind of come in from the side and walk with you. It was a dark place where you're walking and they would be willing to walk with you silently. They didn't have anything to say. They couldn't fix it but they were there. That meant more than anything. And then they would move off because they have lives and someone else would come in mm-hmm. and walk along for a while. And I watched this for months. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, and you know, a lot of people won't want to hear this, but my Christian friends weren't often very helpful. They would quote me a Bible verse or, you know, well, it's God's will or whatever. And I said, oh, that's that's supposed to make me feel better? Really? Uh, God didn't ask my permission for but this. It cleans, I don't like it. But it, it's a clean way to, for them to see oh, it, though. Oh, it makes them feel like they did something. Right. And again, they're not bad. It's just not no. helpful. No. And they that's what we're trying to, to do. Right. And I, I 100% agree with you that it's the presence of them of people in your life oh, that is what you desire just not the people um, who silently were yes, there yes and i and i still walk a line wondering that this person's in my life if i really tell them what it's like and what i'm going through mm-hmm. i just fear they're going to just walk away they mm-hmm. can't this it's some of this is so dark yeah and so it terrible is, it's pretty ugly and i've talked about that and you have to have a strong believer that's willing to stick it out. And they're, they are out there. And mm-hmm. as much as we've talked about the, the church people that aren't helpful, there are some of you who are amazingly wise mm-hmm. and courageous, mm-hmm. and you're sticking by your friends. And for that, I admire you because sometimes yeah. life is messy and you can't tie it in a bow. Yeah. For sure. I have one friend, and I've never actually met her. Um, her name's Deb. And she... Uh, anytime I write anything or put up a picture, she's right there. And she remembers that Adam's favorite colors when he was five were mm. uh, purple and green. And she does a string of purple and green hearts. 
Um, and sometimes she doesn't say a word. She just sends the hearts. She remembers. She's there. She's always there. And she knows that that's all that really matters to you. Right, right. And, you know, honestly, there were non-Christian friends who actually did a better job. And that part, that bothers me. We yeah. need to do a better job. Yeah. We need to know more about this, and that's what I hope to do with Adam's death and what well, I've been through. You already are, and that's one of the reasons we're here. And I just want to thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing your story with us. God bless you, and um, he will use your story for his glory. There's no doubt about that, Barb. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we've talked a lot about Christ and suffering and how God is there even when you can't see him. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Psalm thirty-four, nineteen. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So I just want to encourage you today that you don't have to be afraid. God is with you. You may not feel him. You may not see him. You may not understand how he could possibly do what he's doing, do what he's doing, but he is there with you, and you can trust that, and you can lean into that, and you can enjoy him even in your darkest hour. So Life Support is here to tell these kinds of stories. I hope you were touched today. I hope that you were helped. I hope now you have a better idea of how you can help your friend and how you can reach out for help. And we're so thankful for our partners at Faith Radio for giving us the opportunity to tell these stories. Thank you to Barb, and we'll see you next time on Life Support. For a video version of this program, log on to the Five Stone Media Facebook page or fivestonemedia.com. This program is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. Five Stone Media is hosting several upcoming life support conferences, providing practical tools and resources for church leaders and staff, and featuring survivors, therapists, and pastors. If you are interested, please reach out to us on our website at www.fivestonemedia.com.